the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 429 for Sunday, December 23rd, 2012. Good readings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions. You send in your tips. You send in cool stuff found. We share it all together. We try to answer everything that we possibly can. And together, we all try to learn something new about the Mac, Apple, Apple's products, and uh, our technical lives in general here in cold Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in not as cold, fearful Connecticut, John F. Braun. And here just as cold in Durham. There's Dave. Well, you're, Pete. Thanks for having me. Guys. You're about uh, two feet closer to the heater than yeah, I am. There Pete. you go. That's it. <laughs> so my backside's warming up. Yeah. I don't want to embarrass you or anything, but happy birthday, Pete. Thank you kindly. And happy Thank Festivus, you. everyone. Right. Fully into my second half century now. <laughs> huh. As far as I said to Dave earlier, and now I can say I'm, I'm six years away from turning 45. <laughs> And extending that gap every day. That's right. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Oh, let's do this. Let's just go to Felix because otherwise this thing's going to get off the chain. It is a. It is our holiday uh, weekend ish post to post podcast. What are we calling this thing here? Oh boy. All right, Felix, save us. He says, "My family." Uh, is currently very much enjoying the use of shared photo streams on our iOS devices. I have my whole family set up sharing streams and it's a wonderful feature. I did not even know existed. It has become like a private Facebook for photo sharing. If you will, I just wanted to share that with other listeners. Well, thanks for the tip. It says uh, it's worth knowing that photo stream has come a long way since its first iteration uh, where you could not choose what to add, etc. However, my sister has been unable to join the party here, and I cannot figure out why. She's tried accepting the invitations from both my photo stream and my father's, but she just gets errors like the, insul- the invitation was canceled from the user. Can you think of any troubleshooting steps to take here? I'm guessing the problem is on her end as she's having the same problem with my father's, and I don't think I can accept her invitations. She is on iOS 6, by the way. Okay. Um, the... the uh, the first thing I would check is her iCloud account, um, because like you said, you're sending her invitations. You're also sending your father invitations. And clearly those are working. He's sending you invitations. Those are working. She is the, you know, the, 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 the one that's not. So, you know, the, the way I would troubleshoot that is um, you can set up a separate account on your Mac, a test account. And then inside iPhoto, you can subscribe to her iCloud account. And then uh, and then try to accept the photo stream. And and that should allow you to troubleshoot it without having to wipe clean an iOS device for the for the sake of uh, putting a, you know, a, a test iCloud account on there. And and that should do it. Um, and, and in fact, we did hear back from Felix and he said you know, the big problem was she wasn't signed up for iCloud and Apple did not make that clear. In all the invitations. No. What are the ads? <laughs> yeah. Well, but I mean, they, you know, that's, you, you know, you assume she assumed she's like, I'm on iOS six. It has photo stream, you know, and, and, in, and in none of the invitations, did it say you, you know, or was it clear anyway that you have to be beyond this, but that's how I would troubleshoot. Even if she did have iCloud, that's how I would troubleshoot that sort of thing. So, 
you can pick and choose what goes up to the to the photo stream now. Yeah, man. Oh, and you cool. and you I and haven't played with it since they supposedly fixed it. And you and I, just like Felix yeah. is saying, you and I could have a uh, private photo stream that's shared okay. just between us. Oh, that's cool. So anything you put in, I see. Anything I put in, you see. Yeah, it's good stuff. That's awesome. Because I was yeah. thinking, you know, before the way it was set up, I mean, it could set up some <laughs> really embarrassing situations too. Yes. Any picture is automatically there. It's like, right. dang. And I'm sure with an Apple TV, you could, you know, link your photo streams and all of that yeah, stuff cool. too. Yeah. I got to play with that. Small. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Braun, anything there? John takes good. Yes. Pictures. Share your photo stream. <clears throat> Actually, that's true. John, John, yeah. of, of the three of us, I, I, I certainly, well, of the three of us, I'm probably the worst <laughs> photographer. And I, John is uh, certainly one of the better photographers I know. Yeah. I, you know, I really don't use, thank you. Uh, I really don't use photo stream, but there's also a nice, uh, and I also, a lot of our Mac colleagues are also uh, quite into photography. It seems to be something that Mac people just like to do, but yeah, it's true. I don't really, I don't use photo stream that much. I mean, it, uh, the, the only place I use it, and this is something, you know, a tip for some people, if you are having issues with it, is that I have had issues with it, with, uh, aperture. So, uh, mm. Apple's, uh, photo, you uh, you know, photo editing and management utilities, uh, both aperture and iPhoto, uh, can dip into the stream and also contribute to it. And the problems that I've had in the past is that for some reason, it seems to forget the fact that it should be either downloading or uploading. I just do an import. I don't do an export. Hmm. Um, yeah. Just keep in mind that there is a specific spot now in, uh, you know, both on the iDevice and in the photo apps where you go to preferences photo stream, and it'll give you options here. So one is just to enable or disable it, the direction that you want to go up or down or both. And then I guess shared photo streams. Now what you guys were touching on is, um, you know, another, uh, another feature that they added. Yeah. It came a long way and it didn't really have a, you know, a lot of granularity before it was like all or nothing, but Apple, right. Apple listened because you and I both were shaking our fist at <laughs> yeah, I think that's <laughs> the initial implementation. I think that's typical Apple, right? Is, is they roll something out and, and just see what sticks and then, but they roll it out very, very simply. They don't, you know, the first iteration of anything that they put out, is very, very feature sparse, right? And, and, but it works it, with, with the limited feature set that it has, it, it, you know, it works and it tends to be robust and we've seen exceptions to that rule, certainly, but it seems to be their MO to do it that way. And then slowly add features and, uh, and enhance it while, while maintaining that simplicity and robustness. And sometimes that's frustrating. Like you said, we shook our fists at photo stream and now it's like, Oh, Hey, they listened and maybe they did, or maybe they just, you know, plotted along with their plan that they had all along and just didn't want to roll it out with 18 zillion features and bells and whistles and blow it all up. I don't know. Seems to work though. Moving on to bill. Bill says I had what I thought was a good idea for how to clone the hard disks of my two Mac portables without having to connect them to a local disk. I used carbon copy cloner and wanted to clone each MacBook hard disk to a volume on an external hard disk that is attached to my time capsule via the USB port on the back of the time capsule. I first tried this via a Mac Pro that's connected to the time capsule via Ethernet. However, when I select the network volume attached to the time capsule, carbon copy cloner unchecked most of the folders on my source system disk and will not copy them to the network volume attached. When I tried to do this with SuperDuper, it won't even find the network volumes attached. Uh, and he showed us screenshots proving that he says, my questions are, why can't I copy or clone to a volume via my time capsule? And is there a way to use an external hard disk attached to a time capsule for cloning a system disk? 
Uh, I thought I would ask you guys that it appears this problem is not isolated to carbon copy cloner or super duper. And he's running 10.75, but you'd have the same problem in probably 10.6 and even 10.8. Um, the reason is that um, the, the, in order to clone your system disk, you need to have full permission access to the remote drive. Otherwise, things get all screwed up if you'd ever want to clone it back. Um, the reason is, you know, the usual concept for a clone is you're making a bootable clone and there's no way to boot from one of these types of network disks as it stands as a network disk. Yes, you could unplug it from your time capsule and plug it into your Mac, but uh, the system sees it differently. It's able to manage permissions when it's directly connected and it is not able to do that when it's a NAS drive. Right. And you're going to have this problem with any network attached storage, be it to a time capsule or, or anything else. Cloning software, just it, it's smart enough to know, hey, we're not able to do this. Carbon copy cloner says, fine, if you want to clone to it, fine. But I'm not even going to pretend like we're going to make this bootable because heaven forbid you do unplug that and plug it into your Mac. It's going to be a nightmare because permissions are going to be all screwed up. The stuff's not going to be in the right place. So it's smart enough to say, yeah, I'll let you clone your data, but that's it. You know, you're done, buddy. Um but if you really do want to do a full clone for the sake of having a clone, albeit unbootable, you can with either one of these packages to a disk image. It should work totally fine. And I've done it with uh, super duper and I'm nine. In fact, I think I've done it with carbon copy cloner too. And with a disk image, of course, now you can control permissions from your Mac inside the disk image, and then you can blast all your stuff out there and it's fine. Again, you can't boot from it. Um, at least not without creating a Mac OS 10 server and putting it in a special spot and creating a net boot and that whole kind of, you know, bag of worms. But, uh, but at least you have it and you could restore back from it and boot from whatever you restored it back to. So, so that hopefully that helps understand why you're running into this problem there and, and, and uh, gives you some insight and gives everybody some insight into that whole cloning process. But I'm sure Mr. Mr. Braun has some insight. At least I hope you do, John. Uh, not really. I, I think you covered it. You got to there's, you know, a distinct difference between the capabilities of a network drive versus a directly connected drive as far as its ability to give you a bootable backup. That's basically what you just said. That's right. Yeah, you, you, you crystallized my thoughts, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> and a disk image is is a way to accomplish that. Yep. Yeah. So, um. Good tip. Yeah, I have nothing else to add to that. All right, cool. Well, we have we have sort of a sort of a related question from Robin. She says, I need some help, please. I've had a number of issues with my MacBook Pro Retina and resorted to a complete reformat and install. Uh, I've installed everything from scratch so far. So good. But I've lost some of my data. Actually, I think a better description is I've misplaced some of my data. Uh, this is one of those moments where I'm having a deja vu moment, John. I know we talked about this pre-show before the last show. Uh, does this sound familiar to you at all, Pete? Yeah. I don't know if we talked about yeah, this in the did. show or not. And how I, to get to, yeah, how to get to the library. How to get to the library. Yeah. Did yeah. we talk about this in the show? Did I, did I not scratch it off or did, or did we simply talk about it pre-show because I had this problem? We're going to, we're going to go here anyway, for those of you that uh, listen to 428, if it's a repeat. We talked about it in the show, but yeah. My apologies. Okay. So she says, uh, I regularly clone it, but uh, I want to, essentially what she wants to do is be able to get to the library folder on her clone and uh and the way to do that if it's connected to if it's your boot drive of course you just go to the and we did talk about this in the last show but yeah, we'll because the sidebar 
tip came up. The sidebar tip came up. Once you've gotten there, throw it in your sidebar, and you don't have to find a hard way to get there anymore. That's right. That's right. Yep. Okay. Uh, Well, anyway, we're going to finish it for those of you that haven't heard 428, and we'll do it quickly. Uh, If you want to get to the library folder of your boot disk, you go to the Go menu, you hold down the Option key, and you go to Library. If you want to get to the boot, the library folder on uh, an external disk, you have to go to the Go. It's hidden. In Mountain Lion, you have to go to the Go menu and say go to folder and then type slash volumes slash volume name slash users slash username slash library. And it will bring you there. Could uh, you drag that volume path in from, say, your. Uh, oh, Pete. I wonder if you could drag that, you know, just just to get the volume name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, to you know, get, put the library in last to get halfway there. Let's oh, see. Yeah. Go to full. No, you can't. No. Okay. No. Well. Can you? I don't know. Dude, you totally can. Very cool. All right. Well, this made it worth re-mentioning it. So you have to have two finder. This is going to be, this is one of those things. It's very difficult to explain. (laughs) Well, because there's no, there's no visual element, but if you get one finder window open and you go to the go menu and choose go to folder, that will bring down the little sheet that says go to folder and will allow you to type, make sure it's blank. Then open a second finder window. That first finder window will remain just as it was, even with the sheet down. Command N will do that. Command N will do that. Thanks. Yeah. 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 And then navigate to uh, your home folder on this other drive so that you are at a good starting point. And all you're going to have to do is add library to your home folder. Actually, navigate to your users folder. Drag your home folder in. And as you drag it in to that little box where you would type, it's going to fill out the whole thing for you. And then all you got to do is type slash library with a capital L and boom, it'll bring you there. Man, that's an that was worth worth a revisit. Holy cow. (laughs) So I like finding uh, that. That's the only way I can do when it starts getting into deep volume paths. If if I can drag it into the terminal or something, it's so much easier. Well, and and you just inadvertently issued another tip. That's right. If you're doing this similar things in the terminal and you need to put a path there, you can drag them from the finder and the same thing will happen as it'll populate it. Uh, So there you go. That's good stuff. We made it, John. It's good. Awesome. Uh, Awesome. Every now and then in life, you fall backwards into a uh, good tip. Yeah, that's right. Hey, listen, (laughs) even a blind squirrel. Um, Okay, you want to t- you want to save us here, John, and go to Margaret, please. Please. Yeah, I like this one. All okay. right. So, Margaret writes, "I'm trying to determine if an external hard disk is dead. My client used it via USB until it became flaky. Time machine stopped working. The drive sometimes would mount, but on a restart, would not, etc. I can't even get the disk to mount or be recognized in disk utility or system info via USB on my system, a Retina MacBook Pro." Since this drive has several connection options, I thought I'd try FireWire. However, my Simonetta display is FireWire 800, and this drive is FireWire 400. I have another working external hard drive that has uh, both these ports, so I tried to use it as a sort of bridge between the two. I know you can daisy-chain FireWire devices, and FireWire 800 is backwards compatible, but I wasn't sure if this would work. I tried it, but the problem drive still didn't appear. Does this sort of harebrained bridge work, or did I prove nothing? Details of the drive below. And one is a Seagate drive, and one is a uh, Lacie drive. So uh, I wrote back and first I got to applaud the uh, creativity here in trying to solve this in that, yes, technically FireWire should support daisy chaining up to 63 devices. So that's what the spec says. Sure. Um, but there are some caveats. All right. And, you know, of course, this always happens with uh, stuff on the show here is that something should do 
this, but it doesn't. And one, so I did a, a little poking around more on the uh, uh, Seagate side than the Lassie side, but uh, specifically found an article from Seagate uh, where they talk about their FireWire implementation. And number one, they say, oh, by the way, we only support seven devices for daisy chaining. So that's their choice. I, I'm not sure why that's the case, if they use an inexpensive component or power issues or what, but they only support seven. Uh, the point here being is that the vendor may not necessarily support a feature that is in the standard. Right. Um, that's true. Yeah. And the other thing that they say uh, is that at least with their drives, or maybe this is in general, I think it depends on what fireware chip they use, is that you can't mix 400 and 800, or at least they say in their implementation, you can't mix them. We're not going to support it. So while there, while it should work, I'm giving two reasons why it may not work, though I still think it's creative. Now, uh, what was mentioned here as tools to detect this is very good. What one, one I could suggest, um, in addition to using disutility or system info, is something like hardware growler. And then in my experience, what it does is shows you two levels of when a drive is recognized. One, when it's recognized at the interface level, and then it'll come up and say, oh, I see something firewire. And then eventually what should happen is it'll say, oh, and by the way, yes, it's a Mac volume. Um, and both of those things don't have to happen or that the first may not happen. If the first doesn't happen, then the hardware shot. Yeah. Um, if the first happens and the second doesn't, then the disk is corrupted. Uh, but disutility and system info will show you that as well. Um, if you dig through them, is that dis they'll show you both it re being recognized as a hardware device and then as a uh, Mac volume. So the other, th uh, and what I mentioned here, so, so that pretty much finishes up that. So this sure. may have identified the issue, but I think you want to do a bit more. And, and the two things you, you may want to look at here uh, to definitely determine if this drive is uh, defective is one, you can get a FireWire 400 to FireWire 800 uh, converter. And it's, it's uh, and I found one from Sonnet. I think other people make it. Um, I that would be a, a definitive a way to do that. I, I have a cable that I got with one of my OWC drives years ago. Yeah, I have one of those. That, mm. that just plugs into a FireWire 400 port and has a FireWire 800 on the other end. And it, I mean, I don't, it, uh, my guess is that they're pretty cheap because this was a throw in with this drive. I mean, it was just in the box, but I use it constantly for exactly this kind of stuff. And, and I bet Monoprice has them if you want. I bet you're right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I, so I linked to the, the one thing I found and then I found another thing. Now, unfortunately, I, I, pasted the same link twice here. All right. So that's one option, which is a, a simple converter. Uh, one end has an 800 plug. The other has a 400 plug and that would work. Um, though this I thought was pretty neat here is another device. So, so the, the connector is pretty inexpensive. I think it's like 10 bucks or something or, you know, the low tens. Sure. Uh, but I also found Sonnet has another thing, which um, is called the yin yang. Okay. And, uh, and I'll, I'll send the link for that. And what is that? That is it's a tiny little FireWire hub. And that one end is a FireWire 800 connector. And then the other end is both a 400 and an 800 connector. And in this case, you could use something like that to combine, uh, to combine the, the drives that are, or, or actually a FireWire hub in general is, or a USB hub is, is a hardware way uh, to extend connectivity for, for the, the drives using the various technologies or connections. I thought it was neat. You see, see this? 
Did, did you? I'm looking at this. Just, this. Yeah, you you hadn't put this link in the original email that uh, we no, I, I sent. No, I pasted the wrong one. Ah, so, okay. Uh, so this is the first you're seeing that. Yeah, yeah so the, that's pretty so. This cool. is, I think, a bit more expensive. I think it's like under a hundred bucks. But for people that still need to support both of those devices, this looks like a, a neat way to do it. And it looks like it's packaged all nice, and and uh, that's I like it. That's cool. Ah, oh, good find, my friend. You know, um, I will offer yet a uh, a third proposed solution is take the drive out, right? Ah. And put it in a different thing because it may be that the drive is fine, but the, you know, the interface in the, in the enclosure is shot and that totally can happen. I mean, so the drive could be bad too. Oh yeah. But at least this way, you know, do you have a good enclosure that you could put another drive in or do you have a good drive that you could put in another enclosure? Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that's where something like that, um, that newer Trek, the newer tech, newer Trek, <clears throat> newer tech universal drive adapter, right? Is that what it's called? Tech universal drive adapter. Yeah, it's it's sort of a, a, a drive enclosure without the enclosure. It's just the guts of the enclosure. Uh, but it's really handy to be able to test all different kinds of drives with it. So we will uh, we will link yep. to that, too. And it's relatively yeah. cheap. It's like 30 bucks, right? Uh, 40 bucks now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, yeah. inflation. Cause I actually have a drive that does this. It's an older drive. I mean, all drives fail eventually, but it's an old, uh, I Omega ego and it's a, yeah. a triple interface. So it has USB firewire 400 and firewire 800. Um, at, at this point, the eight, uh, the 400 connection, I, which one doesn't work? One of, one of the firewire connections doesn't work and the other one does. So I don't know if I zapped it or mm. it's just, flaky or what but i definitely and that's where something like hardware growler told me oh, okay no it's not your computer it's it's the drive I, in that the computer's not even seeing it on this one interface so i got one from uh owc one time i still have it it uh, it's a usb plug-in but it, it'll do sata and ide and for some reason i think it, it'll smoke firewire as well yeah, yeah just about but <laughs> But it's nice because you can take any size drive, mm-hmm. SATA particularly, and, and all that. Test them, and yeah, cool. Those are great tools. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're they're the kind of thing that even if you're not supporting other people, you will eventually, you know, it, it, it's worth the the thirty forty bucks to just have one of these on hand. If you've got enough hard drives bouncing around, it's nice to be able to just plug one in and test it without having to use screws and you know all of that stuff. It's uh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Cool. Not for permanent operation, though. No, I've seen people do that. It's doable. You just got to be careful because you've got this loose bare drive floating around on your desk. But yeah, I'm sure it happens far more often. Than it's, yeah, what could, what could possibly go wrong? So, hey, if you wanna... he says as he's sipping his tea. You know. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, I thought Which water helps spill conduct the electricity the exposed... in that drive. Make it move faster. That's right. <laughs> All right. Moving on to Dave. Uh, you know what? Actually, before we do, Dave, uh, I want to talk about our uh, first sponsor for this show, which is Barebones. One of my uh, they make one of my favorite apps. In fact, I was using it right now. <clears throat> Man, sorry about that. Uh, I was using it right now to uh, to craft our kind of on the fly show notes. Uh, and that is BB Edit. Uh, BB Edit is a text editor. And now they just uh, added uh, retina support to it with 10.5.1. But uh, but it is so much more than that uh, within just retina support, although that obviously makes it look nicer. It, the, the functionality of this thing is fantastic. It's just it's so smooth and simple to edit text documents, especially if you're editing lots of text documents. 
you know, I have um, all the template files for, for the Mac observer that uh, I have on my computer and we sync those back and forth to the server. I have some scripts, I have the show notes and I keep them all open. I can do it in a single window. It doesn't use tabs. It actually uses a drawer off to the side to list all the documents, which is much better because uh, tabs would, would be cluttered at the top. Cause if you want to have more than say three or four documents open, you wouldn't be able to see what you were doing, but with this drawer hanging off the side, it's great. You can bounce around and you can even organize things into multiple windows, obviously for different projects. Uh, you can save these projects out so that you can open them easily and then you can find within uh, multiple files. So if you uh, want to do a uh, replace, let's say, you know, you're updating your website and you have a copyright on there that says, you know, copyright 2012. Well, that's about to need to change. Right. And you could do a multi-file find and replace until it find 2012 in all of these documents. And you can limit down which documents and you can do it easily by window or just manually select and do a, a find and replace and say, find every instance of 2012, change it to 2013. And then you can have it walk through those changes and you can see them, or you can just say, no, no, I trust myself. I, I, I'm certain I've never typed 2012 that I wouldn't want to convert. And you hit bam and off it goes. Uh, it, uh, it really is. It, it's such a smooth part of the workflow. It is not only on every computer that I own, but it is open on every computer that I own at this moment. And I can say that with certainty because it's always open on every computer that I own. So very, very happy to have Barebones on as a sponsor. Check out BB Edit. You can do that um, by going to barebones.com and you can download a free trial of, uh, of BB Edit. And then once you're hooked, which if you need to do anything with text, sorting, finding, replacing, editing, if you need to do anything, I'm sure you'll be hooked. Try it out first. And once you're hooked, it's 50 bucks, which is such a great thing because for years it was, you know, well into three digits. And, uh, and a couple of years, about 18 months ago, they brought the price down and now it's just, just 50 bucks. In fact, it's 49. It's not even 50 bucks. It's 49.99. Check out BB edit from Barebones at barebones.com. And now it's time to go to, uh, time to go back to Dave. Which one from Dave? This Dave's one. not hearing me. Oh, Dave's here. I'm right oh, here. Yeah, okay. It's good. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, Dave writes, uh, I've moved from complete novice to just obsession uh, after listening to your podcast, but now with three machines in about seven years. Uh, I've been listening to your podcast pretty much since my wife purchased my first MacBook Pro. He says, uh, let's see, uh, where, where is, uh, we appreciate the praise. I'm just trying to get to the question. He's got three machines. He says, I'm still pretty much a novice at most of these things, but I enjoy figuring it out. I would like your help on managing my music though. And I cannot seem to figure out how to do this. I'd like to listen to music in the house. My Mac mini is my TV without cable, only streaming and also hooked to audio system while sharing the library with two other computers. However, I would prefer to store the music on an external hard drive attached to the network. It just takes up too much space on the mini, which logically is located in a cabinet in the living room where I have a two terabyte drive attached. My network one terabyte time capsule is in the basement with a one terabyte and a 500 gigabyte drive tethered to it. Can I store all my music, run iTunes and update my 120 gigabyte iPod classic for traveling while storing the music on the network? I'm sure that I've got a bunch more questions, but I'm hoping you can get me started with this project. Okay. You can store your music on the network. Um, 
And and that part of it is relatively simple. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But the, the thing I want to stress first is that because of the way iTunes works, easiest bet is to have one computer be the master for the library, regardless of where on the network the library is stored. Um, I, I think for you, your Mac mini might be the best computer to have managed the library, but it also might not uh, because you want to sync your iPod to it. And so the uh, and I think it's uh, let me look at the iPod. It's an iPod classic. So that has to sync via USB. So if you're syncing via USB, obviously you need to be able to plug into this and at some level interface with the computer. Although if iTunes is open and you have it set up uh, kind of in default mode, it will just sync automatically. But, you know, at some level you'll need to see this. But uh, you can't reliably have the same music library on the network accessed by multiple computers simultaneously. There are ways of doing it. Yes, but they are all hacks and workarounds, even though some of them rely on third party software that's built to do this. I've tried it. You it don't is, want to. It has been the holy grail of what, you know, once we got iChat with tabs out of the way years and years ago, this has been the holy grail of what we want here at MacGeekCap because so many of us have this same situation. And it astounds me that Apple hasn't solved this problem inside iTunes and allowed a single shared library that then everybody in the house can sort of access and manage and manipulate. But they haven't. And so we're stuck with, you know, if you want to use iTunes, which to sync your iPod and everything else you're doing, you kind of have to, you, you need to, you need to think about a core computer. So if that's your Mac mini and you can easily plug your iPod in and that's not too much of an inconvenience, then that's probably the best bet because it's probably on all the time. Um, and it's accessible on your network, which means other computers can play music from it, even though it, <clears throat> even though it from it means your um, you know, if you're storing your library on your time capsule and accessing that from the Mac mini over the network, you might have your music passing around the network three times before it actually gets to your speakers. That's okay. But, uh, but that's how you've got to, you've got to start with one machine being the core and then all the others sharing to it, which means the others can't add to it, nor can they edit it. They can just play from it, but that's the way, it, that's the way it works. John, you got any thoughts on this? No, I I keep my uh, iTunes configuration pretty simple. Pretty much one device to one machine. So, Do you do the Airport Extreme thing or Airport Express thing or any sort of streaming throughout your house? Mm, no, I used to. But okay. I do in the summertime. We it's, do that out on our back porch. I have the Airport Express and there's a wall outlet out there and I, so I just have some some speakers and... Able to stream music right out there. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, now, ne neither one of you has done the Sonos thing, have you? I haven't. Okay. No. Yeah, we, we are totally hooked. I, somebody the other day said to me, they said, I think uh, the addiction of Sonos is second only to that of crack. And uh, as, as insensitive as that might be, it's probably true. Uh, but but we're, we're well entrenched in Sonos and, and, uh, and we hope to be even more entrenched someday. But, uh, it's an awesome way to have music throughout the house. Really easy to manage, really easy to play because it just syncs to your music library, wherever that is. But it also pulls in stuff from the cloud, whatever services you subscribe to Pandora or Spotify or RDO or, you know, any of those others. Uh, it's just there. And the cool part is I can create a playlist on Sonos that mixes and matches from all those different sources. 
And uh, nice. yeah, it is. And and of course, with Sonos, if I have it in one room playing, I can have it follow me to another room and I can or I can have it in all the rooms simultaneously. And with the most recent update, the one thing you never could do with Sonos before was if you had a song and this is great with the kids, if they've got their friends over, their friends would come over. They <clears throat> they'd have <clears throat> it's fighting you. Today. Man, it is fight. Yeah, it's weird. Um, they, their friends with my apologies for that. Um, I'm trying to hit the mute button, but with Pete here, there's too many live mics in the room. Um, they, if they have a song on their iPod, they couldn't play that on the Sonos. Uh, and we actually had a Bluetooth speaker set up so that the kids or just plug in so the kids could do that. But now with the latest update to the Sonos software, you can actually play songs from you can stream from your iPod directly to the, the oh, Sonos that, unit. That's too slick. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> nice. great. And it's just right inside the controller. It's totally a natural part of the, the process. So it's not cheap, uh, it, not even close to being cheap, but uh, but it is totally worth the cost because it's just it makes it so easy. And I didn't mean for this to become a, a, a rave on about <laughs> about Sonos, but clearly uh, it, if you if you play music regularly or you want to play music regularly in your house, uh, Sonos is the way to go. And I say it that way because we had stopped playing music regularly in the house because we'd had this jury rigged setup of we got a stream from this library to this computer and in this location or that location. And it, 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 no one in the house could play music except me. I was going to say, when you're the only one that you can work it. Yeah. And then, it, then it's not, a, that's an issue with, with my wife and me. And that's why yeah. I, I hope my, uh, I'm pretty sure my gift is going to be a uh, Mac mini server. Okay. And I'm set that up to be kind of the same, the central Mm-hmm. media device in the house and my wife should be able to learn using Plex or something like yeah. that to, to make it easy to do. But yeah. um, I do want to mention though that I, I do have this set up. My, my iTunes library is set in on a NAS drive in my basement and uh, I run everything from there and either my wife's iMac right now or my laptop, you know, I, I just have to go and close out the iTunes library on her iMac if I want to use it on my laptop. So like you say, it's nice to have one machine be, be the master. I can turn either machine into the master by just turning the other one off. And the, the nice thing about that is that, uh, you know, I can, my Apple, it serves my Apple TV right from the NAS drive in my basement. Um, I can manage all my music, all my videos, that kind of stuff. I'd be interested to find out if anybody else has had this issue. It happened to me yesterday. I turned on iTunes and it, it's like I say, it's on this NAS drive in my basement. And a, a, a year ago, somebody gave me uh, some movies, you know, on a thumb drive and I sure. jumped them off onto there. I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. And iTunes all of a sudden found it and imported all these movies yesterday. I'm like, what's, what's going on? I mean, it yeah. took five or 10 minutes. I'm like, oh man. So all this stuff is suddenly in my iTunes. And then a bunch of my movies that I had, like disappeared and I found them under home video. So I'm going, you know, how did that tag get, well, that get on there? That was bizarre. And I was able to go in and untag home video and re, re say, Hey, this is a movie, not a home video. Right. And, and put it back. But that, that can be the problem with iTunes is it definitely, it especially on its own program. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got a question from the chat room right. and, and I will use this opportunity to say hello to everybody in the chat room. Uh, com slash stream is where, uh, you can go when we are recording and we record on Sundays, sometimes in the morning, sometimes in the evenings, uh, Eastern time. But uh, but we always post the schedule uh, on both Facebook and on Twitter. But anyway, uh, Chris in the chat room asks, uh, do you need to provide the speakers for Sonos? Is it like AirPlay, AirPlay Pro with a great controller or are speakers included? 
Speakers are included. There is one unit you can get from Sonos if you want to have your stereo system join the network and, and essentially have it feed your stereo. But that, and honestly, that's the way I thought I would go in our living room because I already have a home theater set up there. I did not go that way at all in our living room. In fact, our living room is nuts. I have two play fives and a, a sub in, in the living room, completely separate from my home theater system. And the reason is I want to be able to just play music, right? I want to pick up my iPod or whatever controller I want to control the Sonos with and say, play. I don't want to have to go into the living room and turn on this, the home theater and set it to the right zone and set it to the right setup and all of that stuff just to get the music to come out. And uh, so the, the general gist of the Sonos system is that the speakers are part of it. And, and for, uh, for those of you that don't understand <clears throat> Sonos creates, essentially creates its own wireless network. You plug one of the Sonos units into your ethernet backbone and then it talks to the rest of them and they all sort of share this mesh that they put together. You can plug them all into Ethernet if you want and they'll do the same thing, but they will do it wirelessly and intelligently switch back and forth between them. And as I mentioned, I have two units in my living room that are pa that are paired to be left and right stereo, but I could easily unpair them and have just one and then put the other one outside or downstairs in the playroom or whatever I want. So it's uh, it's a cool thing. Again, not cheap, but totally worth it. And, and not overly expensive. You can get the Play 3s for 300 bucks. Uh, I think the Play 3s sound fantastic. In fact, two of them in a stereo pair is awesome. So uh, so anyway, again, I didn't mean for this to become a... You control it all from the iPad or the computer or, yeah. or both? Yep. Or, and the cool thing is, you know, you could... Um, if you or, were over, okay, you said your iPod. Yeah, but I could, you know, I can add. We both are man. The queue is maintained on the Sonos. Okay. It is not maintained on your iDevice. Yeah. So if I add a song to it, you'll see that song when you connect with your iPhone and you could add another song and you can reorder the queue. And so it, it really does. It makes music this, you know, social thing amongst the house because we're constantly putting things in. The kids put songs they want to hear. We put songs we want to hear. And, you know, it, I mean, it sometimes becomes a battle, but rarely. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, it's have that, some fun with that. You have some fun with that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it, it keeps everybody, you know, nobody's got ear, earphones in all the time. So it's a really a good thing. So anyway, John, can you, uh, can you stop me from raving about Sonos here and, uh, and, and bring us back to Mac geek Gab proper with Brent? I, I can. You're going to try. I will. You will. There it is. That's the spirit. I mean, the thing is, you're running the board. So, <laughs> no, I, I really I can't guarantee that I can shut you up. But well, all right. I'll try to so, be polite. So from Brent, I have a 2011 27 inch iMac running 10.8.2. I started noticing recently within the last day or so, the clock on my menu bar is stopped slash frozen when woken from sleep. If I click on it, it will update the time, but not run. I haven't installed too many too much since this has started happening. Really only iTunes 11. Uh, I restarted and reset PRAM and, that, PRAM and that seemed to work. But I got home today and woke the iMac up and it was frozen again. I ran cocktails, basic maintenance, permissions, logs, and updated to the latest version of iStat menus. When that reinstalled, the clock started working again. Any suggestion of what might be causing this? Yes. Now, first, you, you made a good point in the in the prep, Dave, is that it's not clear to me whether the clock that was not working was the built in clock or the iStat menus, because he 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 starts by saying, well, I don't think I really installed much. But then later on says, oh, and then I updated iStat menu. So that leads to me believe that this may have been the iStat menus clock. But I'll, I'll address both 
both issues, whether it's a system clock or the iStat menus clock. So one, I noticed this with the latest iStat menus update, um, which got a fist shake from many people. Now the fist, the fist shake that I'll give it. So iStat menus four recently came out is that when I installed it or did the upgrade install, I noticed that several of the components were not working in that I would click on them and then it would say, oh, well, you have zero bytes free or you're using zero bytes memory. And I'm like, what? So there was definitely something wonky in the iStat menus upgrade process or maybe the first. Uh, yes, that's what I'm going to say. And that I didn't see them working properly and that they wouldn't work immediately upon the machine being started. Later on, when I looked, then they were populated with data. So I think it may have been a bug in the iStat menus upgrade process. The other thing it could be, well, that this is how you could check, is that I would say you may have had a runaway process uh, taking up so much CPU that the clock was not doing what it should, which normally, and I, I like to keep the clock running because, yeah, if you see the seconds updating, then usually it's a, it's a good sign that you know, all is well with your system. If that ever stops, then something bad is happening. And you could look at what's happening by either uh, activity monitor or getting recursive here. <laughs> I stat menus to see if there's a process uh, preventing other things happening uh, on the system. And then I guess the other kind of fish shake at, at, uh, at the, or maybe you want to lead into the other fish shake for these guys, Dave, but that's what I have to say about it. Yeah. I, I still well, love I stat menus. I, I will, uh, will defer the fish shake for a, a minute or two here. First of all, I love it when you get recursive, John, it's fantastic. Um, but, uh, I saw this issue uh, as well and on my wife's MacBook Pro. And this was several months ago. And I, I thought it was iStat menus as well. And I install, I uninstalled it and it, the problem didn't go away. Uh, something would cause system UI server and uh, which is the app uh, that runs in the background that manages sort of what I'll call the right half of your menu bar. Uh, all the stuff that appears to the right side of your menu bars is run for the most part by this app that runs in the background called system UI server. So I would see this thing spike up and it would use a lot of CPU and it would gobble a lot of Ram. And then at some point her clock would just stop ticking. And this is in her case, this is the system clock and, and Brent Brent did reply good to go through it for the iStat menu stuff regardless. But Brent said he was having problems. It was his system clock, not just uh, not just iStat, but it still could be iStat that's causing this problem because iStat loads inside of system UI server, which then is part of that, right? In, uh, in my wife's case, it was not that. And honestly, and I hate this, uh, but I do not know what it was. I fought and fought and fought with this thing for a long time. And finally, we did a, uh, a, a, a we totally formatted the drive and migration assistanted her stuff back in and things have been fine since then. I hate it when that solves the problem because there, there's something else there that, that, you know, that was out there, but in any event, uh, we couldn't find it, but, uh, but her system got a good cleaning because of it. And, and now it's not chewing up Ram and it's not, it's not doing any of that, you know, and, and honestly with migration assistant working as well as it does, that process is somewhat time consuming. I mean, it took maybe an hour, right. But, uh, maybe two, uh, but it's not, it's not fraught with opportunities for disaster. If you create a clone of the drive first and then format the drive and reinstall OS 10 and then let my point migration assistant at your clone and just let it blast everything back. It, it really, you know, it, 
every time I've done it, it has just worked. Um, it may not solve the problem every time, but it, as far as getting you back to at least where you were a pretty safe bet that you're going to get there. And in her case, it did, it did solve the problem. So there was something buried deep in the system, you know, that just needed to be forgotten. And with migration assistant, it typically doesn't pull, pull much system stuff. It just pulls your user stuff. So that helped. So, uh, so that's that. Do we have something? Oh, you want to do the fish shake at, uh, at Bajango for, uh, for iStat menus? Yes. And that we Go. did have some people write in here and here's the, um, well, here's the problem with, uh, iStat menus. So, uh, like many pieces of software, they have an upgrade mechanism. And when they had an upgrade, um, a lot of people just went ahead and installed it. What a lot of people didn't notice was that they said somewhere in the dialogue, which not many people read, uh, based on the reactions I've seen through. I was one of uh, those people, of people. That, that was totally surprised by the fact that I was running iStat four. And oh, I told okay. and I told Bajango this. I actually had a public conversation with him on Twitter, and it was just because you know the upgrade looked so similar to all the point upgrades that were happening to version three. I thought, oh, an update came out. Boom, I'll install it. And then suddenly it was like asking me okay. for, you know, purchase codes. I'm like, oh, and I bought it. I I, I mean, it, it wasn't the money issue. It was just like, hey, you know, this is sort of a surprise. And Django copped to it. I, I mentioned it to him on Twitter. They're like, yeah, we, we obviously we, you know, it, it was interpreted far differently than we intended. And, and we'll be better about it next time. I mean, that's all you can do. And that's, so that's yeah. great. Yeah. I saw it. I mean, I know that they did mention it, but if you I'm didn't sure read right. the license carefully, it, I mean, it said this is a time limited version of four and, uh, you know, at some point it's going to disable itself. And yep. uh, I think that shocked a lot of people because all of a sudden you started, you got these little uh, alert uh, triangles with an exclamation point in your menu bar. And and I think that freaked more than one person out there like, wow, what the heck? What's wrong with my computer? Oh, yeah. What changed? Yeah. And then I think the other thing is they didn't give a nice way. You could say uninstall it, but then you had to manually reinstall three. I don't think it restored the prior version, which that's what you really should do. So well, say, OK, they, the trial's over. Are you are you done? OK, you, uh, you don't want it. Well, we'll revert you back to the prior they, one. They didn't expect people to be upgrading without realizing what they were doing, which is exactly what happened to many of us. And and again, I'm I'm totally certain that the if I had read the text, it would have said, "Hey, dude, you're upgrading. You know, make sure yeah. you know what you're doing." I just didn't. It just looked so similar. I'm just like, yeah, you know, whatever. Go ahead. I think it was right when I got back from vacation. It was like, oh yeah, every every computer I have is asking me to upgrade. Fine, you know, because it gets pretty persistent. You know, if you don't if you don't oh, yeah. do that upgrade, so all good. It's all good in the end because the the you know the new version is is great. I. I, you know, we swear iStat menu lives in the Mac Geek Gab Hall of Fame as far as I'm concerned. And uh, and yeah. so, you know, and the upgrade, they they uh, if anything, I mean, they just kind of made each of the widgets more useful and that like the calendar one can link to iCal. Yep. And I, I just like the, 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 the little tweaks are like, wow, that's a neat feature I didn't think uh, of having. So, yeah. um, so, yeah, they added enough stuff that makes it more useful for, for me to. I think it's 16 bucks. Come on. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't upset by the price. It was just surprised. Like, oh, wait, I didn't want to have to go through the purchase process right now. I got stuff to do. You know, but whatever. Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. fine. We live. We move on. We'll get past it. We're professionals. All right. Scott has something to say. Scott always has something to say. But this one is actually, you know, concise enough and packaged uh, enough that we can do it here. Hi, John and Dave. This is Scott again in D.C. I just... Happened to pull up at home and ready to turn off the car when you're talking about, again, 
uh, another problem with the, the power management system, uh, something that some of us road warriors have where, where I work have learned is that we're constantly moving our systems from place to place, unplugging it and plugging it, closing it, and et cetera. One of the things that we found that, that has worked, especially when, when going from clamshell mode and opening it up, is turning off the hibernate mode in the power management system. What you can do is from the command line using sudo, you have to first start with sudo because you can't set these things as a ordinary user. You gotta be root. So you go from the command line sudo space pm set power management set space hibernate space zero. It turns off the hibernation mode from, from inside and what will happen is, is when the system is idle and you put it in clamshell mode like that, it won't turn itself off. Now, there is a danger that you will drain battery a little quicker, but for most of us, this hasn't been a big issue. Uh, most of us can get by with the two-hour, relative two-hour battery life in a relatively heavily, heavily used 15-inch uh, 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 MacBook Pros. So I thought this would be something that would help, and I'm still on 423 listening. So we'll see what happens as we keep going. And uh, don't forget it. Bye bye. Thanks, Scott. Yeah, that's um. So when the yeah when the system hibernates, which is the default behavior, actually, it, hibernate and sleep is the default behavior. It will um say every time your your system sleeps, it saves out the image of RAM to your hard drive. And that process takes some time. Uh, it also takes up space on your hard drive, and that may or may not. If you've got eight gigs of RAM with a 128 gig SSD, that can, you know, that, that's eating up eight gigs of your SSD because it's just taking a picture of RAM and saving it out. So, um, but it, he's right. It can make it more reliable because you don't have this lag of, of saving the RAM out and, and dealing with that. The benefit to hibernation is if your battery dies, you still have that image of RAM. So that, as Scott said, you got to, you know, you got to balance that, but, uh, that's a great tip. Uh, John, you and I found, and, and he gave the terminal command because that's how Scott rolls, uh, to, uh, to change that. But if you don't want to muck with the terminal, there is a utility that I believe still works even with mountain lion called smart sleep that, uh, that will allow you to do all of this stuff from the command uh, from the from a graphical interface and it it just makes it a little bit uh, more more pleasant and in fact uh uh many folks in the chat room are mentioning smart sleep as well so glad to hear that so it does this and more in that you can do thresholds when you'd like it to do certain behavior so you may want to say oh okay well if you're below five percent five percent of battery then maybe you should you know do, do this form of sleep or hibernate right uh and I think underneath it all, what it's what it is doing is is issuing the, those same uh, uh, PM set commands. I think oh, I'm sure you're right. Yeah, but you're, I forgot about that. You're right. It it does it intelligently, so you can be on non hibernate and and gain the benefits of not hibernating right until you get low battery, and then it'll it'll jump ship uh, and and go back to hibernate mode. Yeah, like I have a set right now. So if it's below five percent capacity or less than five minutes of life left, then you should um, then you should hibernate. Oh, that's good. That's good. Good thinking. I like that. All right. Uh, let's go through. We've got some tips from, we've got some questions left as we always do, but, uh, but we'll do some tips and follow-ups from the last show. And, uh, 
and we'll see where we go from there. I've got I've got perhaps one cool stuff found thing to mention, which you might actually enjoy hearing about, John. Um, but let's go let's go to our tips first and and jump to Michael here. Michael found uh, it's a good public service announcement. Michael says I was playing around in accounts and on my account, which is an admin account, I enabled parental controls. Apparently, it warned me that if I did this, I wouldn't be able to administer the computer. I did it anyway as an experiment. I love this. Yeah. Yeah. Get out the machete. Go. Uh, So I log in under my wife's uh, admin account and my account was an administrator slash managed account. Allow a user to administer computer was checked, although grayed out. Enable parental controls was also checked. When I tried to uncheck parental controls to get things back to normal, i.e. only an admin account, it gave me the warning that you can't enable parental controls on an admin account. I can uncheck the parental controls box, but it will recheck once I click the lock icon. Even if I close system preferences and go back into accounts, my account is still admin slash managed. The only thing I've been able to do to get things back to normal is to revert to a super duper clone. Uh, I'm just wondering if what you can uh, what you all think of this, since I couldn't seem to get back the, the account account back to a straight admin account. Uh, yeah, I I, uh, I have to say, Michael, uh, I experiment a lot. That is one thing I have not tried to do and then get myself out of. I'm sure there's a way if you're willing to go to the terminal and muck about with all the account settings and all of that stuff. But uh, but I don't recommend this. That sounds like a, a bad idea. But what I will say is if you want to do experimenting, create a test account, make it an admin account and make it a parental account. Right. You know, a managed account. And and that way you can just delete the account as opposed to having to revert to a backup. Yeah, I like the solution though. You had the clone. And ah, totally. Back, you know. So well, yeah, it saved his bacon because so, yeah. otherwise then we would have to work with him on the uh, you know on the whole terminal I'm thing. To unring a bell. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's great. Trying to unring a bell. I like that. That's good. Gee, I, I assume you have no. Uh, I, I would be shocked. I, I'd be pleasantly surprised if if you were able to find a solution on this, John. No, I, no, I don't really muck muck around in that part of the yeah part of the system. Yeah, so good public service announcement. Uh, it, twofold: don't do this, and if you're going to do stuff like this, make sure you have a clone at the ready and and are okay with going back to it. That's yeah. the real trick: is you know, no emotional pain with reverting to your clone. And so. the test account is key. And the test account, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So many levels worth of. Uh, that Kevin has another public service announcement. He says, sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but one of our favorite workarounds for iOS devices will soon be gone. Google is apparently disabling or phasing out their support for uh, allowing you to connect to Google's services as exchange services. This is something that you can do with your email and is I think the only way to con- directly connect your iOS calendar to uh, to Google service. So uh, although I guess you can also do it uh, direct with CalDAV and, and perhaps CalDAV will exist uh, to be clear. This is being phased out as of January 31st for new accounts. I, from what I can understand, it will remain for existing accounts. So those of us that are already doing this kind of thing, will be grandfathered for some uh, unknown to me period of time. 
So just they, they also got rid of uh, Google Apps, except for business. But no more free Google Apps accounts either. You grandfathered in if you had right. one. So I was glad to see that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I was sad to see that go away because that was a great freebie. Yeah. Yeah. It is a great freebie. It I is still a great use freebie. It. Yeah. yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You can't get the free accounts anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So FYI. Moving on to James, I might as well uh, pick up two more heads ups from the last show. James says uh, in 428, you talked about air print and printing from an iPad. Have you tried Printopia from Ecamm? I've used it to print from uh, an iPhone 4 and iPhone 5 to my color laser printer. And the only downside for me is my main Mac has to be on. And uh, and yeah, you know, we we talked we didn't talk about Printopia. So thank you for mentioning it. It's uh, yet another solution and a good one. Any printer that your Mac can see is now announced uh, to your iOS devices. Your Mac is just acting as the conduit. So uh, we throw that in there too. Good stuff. And lastly, at least on the, uh, the tips here, you know, in the last show, we talked about uh, how to see the uh, artwork and the, the chapter artwork and the links in the enhanced podcast and Eugene Dooley, followed our instructions and says in Mac geek at four you stated that we could click uh, the icon in the scrubber to be able to click on the link to see the website you're talking about in the podcast. I clicked on the icon and I saw the link in the middle of the image and I clicked on the link, but nothing happens. Do you have an answer? And sure enough, Gene's right. That link appears there. Uh, there is a little arrow next to it, just like there used to be. But when you go to click on it, it's as though it's not a link. Nothing happens. And I tried every which way from Sunday to get this to work and could not make it work. So I, I think there's a it's an oversight or a bug. It's funny because on one hand, Apple really encourages and pushes us to do these shows as AAC. Obviously, that was the catalyst. But um, but once we started doing it, actually, Michael Johnston was the catalyst, to be honest with you. But obviously, once we started doing it, you uh, many of you back. love it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't awesome. want to go back, yeah. but uh, but it's crazy that Apple's support for this has has I don't you know dwindled dwindled. I guess mm. yeah. Although they, I mean they still update the spec, and I mean there's I don't know. It's 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 a mixed message from Apple is what it is. But yeah, this doesn't work. So I don't know. Huh. I just assumed that that link. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't yeah. click on it either. Right. Because I just assumed. Okay. Well, that's what I've seen before. And when you click on it, it works. Yeah. Huh. Maybe that's I think what that's... was making my Christmas tree lights blink every time someone clicks that. They're coming on and off. Oh, now yeah, I know. That's right. Yeah. You're gonna get nasty letters yeah. from that lady in Germany. You know? <laughs> right. Knock it off. Uh, yeah. So well, that's frustrating. All right. So, uh, so I do have this one thing I wanted to talk about and cool stuff found here. Uh, some of you. Uh, May know I don't talk about it a lot on the show, but I'm a watch nerd in addition to being a nerd about a lot of other things. And I I've always been a watch nerd since a kid. And I had one of the first, you know, LED or it actually wasn't even LED. It was like those little red light digital watches. And, and so I've always had different kinds of watches. But lately, last, I don't know, five years, maybe seven years, I've uh, I've enjoyed uh, more traditional watches. And in fact, mechanical watches, because uh, it's just one less battery to uh to worry about and uh and i kind of like the the concept of having uh at least one gadget that operates on different principles but uh when citizen announced their proximity watch i had to take a look now the proximity watch from citizen 
is it looks like your standard, uh, you know, analog watch, right? It's uh, it's a it's a it's actually a great looking watch. It's it's sporty, but you could wear it, you know, to a nice dinner. But you could also wear it just, you know, with a T-shirt and jeans kind of thing. It's uh, it sort of goes, you know, both ways. Very, very classic looking watch, but it's Bluetooth. And I really like the idea of having uh, a Bluetooth watch that didn't look like a Bluetooth watch. And so they sent me one and I've been playing with it a little bit. And uh, as I said, it wears really well. In fact, I think it's been uh, the only watch I've worn for about the last week and a half since I got it. But the Bluetooth interface on it is wacky and understandably so I actually this is the first gadget in a long time that I've had to read the manual on cover to cover before I began to understand it but here's why we have all these and I'll talk about the Bluetooth functionality but we have Bluetooth functionality baked into a form factor that is not built to be an interface to a computer right so things are understandably clunky and if you're not if you don't want that then you don't want this watch but the things it can do are pretty cool uh, if you get a call, the watch, uh, it indicates that by way of the second hand moving to a, a certain spot and it also vibrates on your wrist. You can have the same thing happen with email. The one I like the best is I can have the same thing happen with my calendar alerts. So when I get alarms from my calendar or whatever, my watch vibrates, which is awesome. If my phone is like on mute and not in my pocket, uh, it, I, that thing has saved me a lot this week. I've really enjoyed that. Um, it sets the time from your iPhone. Seems like an obvious thing, but very cool. If you change time zones on your iPhone, boom, your watch is updated immediately. You don't have to mess around with it. Uh, and, and that's, it's great. It also, it, and this, I I've used this. It has a find my iPhone feature. So as long as it's paired to your phone and you can initiate a reconnection. So if you go out of range, obviously the, the phone and the, uh, the watch, you know, disconnect from each other and you can tell the watch, okay, go and repair to my phone and it will. And it's fine. You don't have to do anything on the phone once you've done the initial pairing. But uh, once it's paired, you can tell it to find your phone and your phone will immediately start playing this little tune and, uh, and you can find it and it cranks the volume up on the phone too. Which is cool. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah. The one thing it's really missing is. Now, if your phone could just find your watch, you know, and you feel that. Damn, where'd I put my watch? Yeah. That's, I mean, there's no reason. Well, the watch sure. doesn't have a speaker. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, but certainly that's totally possible. Oh, yeah. uh, but the the one thing that, that it doesn't do is it doesn't alert me to SMS me- messages or iMessages, which is, seems like an oversight. I don't understand yeah. why every, if everything else is there, that's not there. But the best part about it for me and the reason that I, I, you know, once I saw it and read a little bit about it and I said, okay, this I need to check out. My big problem with Bluetooth devices of any kind, portable Bluetooth devices, is that it's yet another battery I have to think about. And that drives me crazy. Bluetooth headsets, I tried them. I can't do it because it's always like, oh, yeah, I left it in the car and oh, the battery's shot, you know, or or dead. Now I I can't use it because I got to charge it. And the same is true of all these other Bluetooth watches that are out there, except this one, because you get it from Citizen and it's eco drive. Yeah. It's solar powered. Nice. And it totally, it, you know, I mean, it's got a, a battery meter on it, John. And I, I mean, the thing's pegged all the time. If it's on Bluetooth and I'm in the dark or whatever, I can get it, you know, to go down to maybe 60 percent, but it never dances there for very long. Yeah. But, uh, but, you know, I mean, you can uh, Pete's the only one that can see the watch because he's the only one that's right here. 
but it's a, you know, it's a decent looking watch. Nice. Yeah. I, I would be happy to wear this watch even if it wasn't Bluetooth. Uh, but uh, so it's cool. It, 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 MSRP is, you know, it's, it's a watch, so they're not cheap. Uh, MSRP is four ninety five on it, but I think you can find them for about three seventy five uh, <laughs> out there, which is cheap for a, a decent watch. So very cool. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> John's looking at his Timex going on. Well, yeah, I mean, listen, right. If you want to buy, right. I mean, it, you know, but if you're looking at a, 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 a decent watch, you, you know, you're going to spend anywhere between, hey. you know, 200 and, geez, 200,000. No, my last, my last Timex, I don't know. I think it was a hundred bucks or something. Yeah. It lasted a real long time. Yeah. Um, I don't actually have a watch right now. I actually found that, uh, my phone is a pretty good replacement since I typically have that. Yeah, I went well, years yeah. without wearing a watch. I was just using a phone. And, and last year for my birthday, my wife got me my uh, my current aviator, yep. Citizen Aviator, yeah. which, which I love. It's yeah. the second nice watch I've ever owned. But. Yeah. Now, in the in the CSF, Dave, there is one item here where you said, did we cover this one? And I don't think we did. I think I wanted to. Okay. So the, the one from Andy to, here. And team seems to think we did, but uh, but but go ahead. I don't. Recall because I, I I know I would have had more to say or maybe I wasn't paying attention. But right, the, well, well, well it, this might be another recover. But I think you're right. You did the show notes, so you would know if if we had covered it. Yeah. I don't think we did. So, so Andy, so Andy wrote in, but it's very very quick, uh, and I'll explain a bit about what it is. He's like, "Have you guys seen Homebrew?" And no, we're not talking about making beer. <laughs> That's another thing you may want to try someday. Um, and he has a link to it. We'll uh, you know paste that. And but what is it? It's a package manager. And what is a package manager? Well, at least in, in the context of the Mac, it's a utility that will let you manage, download, and compile uh, open source software. Uh, I think that, that pretty much covers it. Because, yeah. all right, so so Apple, uh, so Mac OS is, is a Unix variant, and there's a large open source community that makes freebies. Uh, that you could that are not included with the OS, but you can download, and then if you install the right uh, tools, Xcode or, or GCC or whatever, you can then compile them. And these utilities will make it easier, giving you a, uh, a GUI to this, because normally you you have to, or you could mess with the uh, text files, but you don't want to. So, okay, maybe I did mention it. Well, I'll cover the other two very quickly then. So, Homebrew will link to this, but there are two others that are uh, that I've used. So Mac ports is one. And then the other one that I use is called Fink, And they also make a follow-up Fink commander, uh, which is a GUI uh, to Fink, And it'll tell you, okay, yes, you have this one installed or, or not, or, you know, there's a new version available. So great way to explore the, the huge world of, of open source stuff that's out there. Cool. Yeah. I'm not sure. It may, it, it, the people in the chat room also hear pre and post shows. So I, it, I, um, it's possible. I don't know. Whatever. We've talked about it now. Now I'm going to scratch it off the list. No question about it. All right. How are we doing on time here? Do we have, uh, well, well, you know, we can. We started uh, an hour and seven minutes. Yeah. Let's, let's yeah. do, let's do, um, let's do Carter here because this is, uh, this is an interesting one and may help some of you. Uh, and we'll, we'll wrap up with this. I think John will have some things to say about this as well. Carter, uh, says I'm trying to capture the audio and video on my screen using Apple's QuickTime player. I select under file in QuickTime new screen recording. Everything seems to be working fine until I play back the recording. The video is perfect, but the audio has a terrible buzz and the actual soundtrack is not recorded at all. I've tried adjusting the record settings in QuickTime, but no improvement. 
I'm running the latest version of Mountain Lion and both my brand new MacBook Pro and several year old Mac Pro. I get a similar audio buzz when trying on both computers. I have a trial version of ScreenFlow, which records both audio and video just fine, but I don't need all the fancy bells and whistles, which comes with ScreenFlow and would like to save the 99 bucks. QuickTime has everything I need. If only I could get it to do this. Okay, so here's the thing. When you go into QuickTime and you start a screen recording, or even before you start a screen recording, over to the right, there's one of those little uh, triangle, you know, drop downs that indicates there's a menu there. And sure enough, that menu allows you to set what audio source you're going to use. And if it's set to none, you won't get any audio. And the only other audio source most of us have on our Macs is the uh, built-in audio, either the built-in microphone or whatever's plugged into the line in port. You'll note that in uh, in those cases, there's no option for saying capture the system audio. So when you put it on microphone, what's happening is the microphone's picking up whatever it hears in the room, including what comes out of your Mac speakers. So uh, you can record your Mac's audio, but only to the extent that it's picking up its own audio from the speakers. Not the cleanest way of getting audio into a recording, but it is the only way out of the box that your Mac can do it with QuickTime. But there's a couple of uh, of options here. So the first option is going to be, well, what you described. You can use uh, ScreenFlow, which, as you said, is is 100 bucks or Snaps Pro 10 which uh, now I think it's 60 bucks or 70 bucks. Still not free. Not cheap, but will do this and is built to do this. And this is part of the magic that these guys have baked into this software is the ability to go and grab all of your system audio. It's it's not a trivial task, but there are other ways of doing it. Um, the other way, uh, and I believe you could do this. Uh, you know what? I don't uh, off the top of my head. I'm not sure if this is cheaper. We're going to talk about it anyway, because it's a cool solution, but uh, it, it involves using Audio Hijack Pro. And it has been so long since I bought Audio Hijack Pro that I forget. Free download. <laughs> well, it's, oh yeah. So, I mean, you can get it for free. Uh, yeah. So Audio Hijack Pro is 32 bucks. Okay. With Audio Hijack Pro, you can get something called Soundflower, which is free. And what you're going to do is this. You're going to take Audio Hijack Pro and capture your system audio. So that's step one. Now you've got it. And then we know that QuickTime, however, can only point to things that it sees as audio devices plugged into the system. So somehow we have to get something that it believes is plugged into the system. And if you plugged a USB audio port in, then that would appear in that dropdown list. Soundflower is a piece of software that acts as an audio device. But what's cool is it acts as both an output and an input audio device simultaneously. So it essentially creates a routing path for audio inside your Mac. And this gets weird to think about, but if you install Soundflower and it's a, you know, an extension level kind of thing, low level thing, then what you do, you've got the audio captured with audio hijack. You tell audio hijack route that audio to Soundflower. Okay. So now you've got all your system audio going to this virtual device called Soundflower. Then you go in to uh, QuickTime and you say, I want to record from the device called Soundflower. And now it'll work just fine. It's a little quirky. I know, but we're geeks and it's what we do. So you can't blame us for coming up with a solution like this. As I said, there's the easy solutions. If you just want to go with the other way with, you know, ScreenFlow or um, whatchamacallit, 
what did I say? Snaps Pro 10. But uh, there is this solution, which not only is a little bit cheaper, but also far, far geekier and uh, and and fun. Uh, someone in Chris in the chat room also points out if you have an outboard mixer, you could do the same thing. You could have you could. Right. I mean, it's the same thing as Soundflower. You're just doing it outside your Mac as opposed to inside via hardware with hardware versus software. You could go out of your Mac's headphone port into a mixer. And then from that mixer, you could go back into your Mac's line import, assuming your Mac has one. And the same thing would work, you know, and then you're capturing the direct audio. It's just going through your outboard mixer as opposed to Soundflower, which is sort of acting like an inboard mixer. So fun stuff. But do you have any other software that does this, John? Um, for sound capture. Well, well sound, sound video capture with sound. You know, like, oh, like, you know, Snaps Pro 10 would, would be my choice. I, yeah, I've yeah. been using that for uh, both. Yeah. Screen capture and on a kid. I, I don't do a lot of video capture, but yeah, sure. Yeah. That's good. That's good. All right. Well, I suppose that brings us to, uh, to the time when I have to go find the band and, and let them come in from the cold. And they've been waiting patiently. So it's, it's only fair mm-hmm. if we let them come in. Anything to talk about before, uh, I guess this isn't our last show of the year, but it is, uh, it is our last show of today. Yeah. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> no more right. shows today, folks. No more shows today. That's right. Anything to, uh, to, to share with them before we formally head into our, our wrap up here. Whoa. John, oh. you still there? Yeah. Huh. The band what stopped. Band I didn't do anything. <laughs> they said no more show. We're out of here. That's it. <laughs> It's, uh, huh. Hey, guess what? They're back. I wish Good. I could say I did something that changed that, but I, you know, I got nothing. You're still here, right, John? Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, I guess we could, uh, you know, first wish everybody a uh, Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays or Festivus or whatever you celebrate. That's right. Yeah, today is Festivus. I'm looking forward we're, to we're, the... We're cool with all of them. The airing of the grievances tonight at dinner. You know, I've been <laughs> gypped all my life with my birthday on Festivus, you know. Just, I, just, know. Uh, <laughs> I know. That's right. Everybody wish Pete a happy birthday again. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, and then of course we'll have the feats of strength after uh, after the airing of the grievances, where Lucas and I have to uh, have to wrestle. I guess I'm not, <laughs> I, I I assume that's what's going to go playing, down, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a family podcast. That is a family podcast. That's why I mentioned Lucas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think if we get anything else to just throw in here. I don't think we do. We can, uh, you know, the one thing we we can do is tell you how to find us. And that is, uh, well, you can email us and you can email feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Backwards. (laughs) No, forwards. You said feedback at MacGeekGab.com. How would we say that backwards, though? Get deep. I'm curious about this. Get deep. Yeah, that's going to require some post-processing to get that to go backwards. <laughs> really, what that turns into. We will have that prepared for a future show. That's right. We have a rule about no post-processing here. And, uh, and, and, and trust me when I say that you all appreciate that rule because it is the only reason that this show gets out to you on time. If we had to do any amount of post-processing, and don't get me wrong, 
we obsess over the sound quality here. I think that's pretty pretty obvious. But uh, it is when you start listening to other podcasts. You go, well, thank you. And you go, oh man, wow, really? <laughs> well, thank you. It, but we do it all in pre-processing and yeah. live. Uh, but post-processing, I knew when we started this, we just wouldn't have time to do it consistently with any, you know, with three hours of post-processing. So we don't do that. But uh, but you said feedback at macgeekab.com to round that off. I believe. Not what else, John? Uh, how else to contact us? Yeah, there's there's other ways. It's not just feedback at MacGeekGov.com. Many ways. Is, yeah. Well, one uh, one place that we've seen that uh, provides some additional utility is uh, you can join our Facebook mob. And that would be Facebook.com slash MacGeekGov. I like it. And uh, you can post questions. Uh, you can get notifications when we will be uh, starting the uh, live stream, uh, when the show notes are complete. All sorts of wonderful info. Yeah. Uh, you can download the Mac Geek Hub app. You can get that in the App Store, and uh, it is three ninety nine, and it allows you to do a lot of different things. Uh, you can listen to the show, of course. You can send us feedback from within the show while you're listening, and it will tag where you were in the show and what chapter you were in in the show. And that is a great frame of reference for us when we're answering your question or even reading it on the show. We sort of know, oh, yeah, this was the part they were talking about. It's great. Uh, it allows you to listen to the live stream right there in the app. You even get to see uh, and participate in the chat room. You get push notifications for when the chats and the live stream and chat's going to happen, when episodes are out and uh and I guess we could use them for other important things. Uh, I don't know what those would be, but that's what that's what that's there for. So, uh, so go check out the app. We'd appreciate that too. What else, John? Um, telephone. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. How would they call us on the telephone? Two zero six 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 geek. Which That's is Dave. 4335, isn't it? That is 4335. Yeah. That's right. And you can find us on Twitter. Uh, we are Mac Geekab as a whole. That's where you find out all the show stuff. Uh, he is John F. Braun. And that's where you can see his personal Twitter feed. Pilot Pete is Pilot Pete. I'm Dave Hamilton. And uh, all the TMO headlines are at Mac Observer. And it's fun to interact there. The other place, and uh, and those of you in the chat room know we've been back to dabbling with this, but I will point it out for those of you on the stream, and longtime listeners will remember this. Uh, we are back, to, I am back anyway, to playing Nation States, and I know several other listeners are too. This was a game we all played years ago. It's a fun little thing. It doesn't take a whole lot of time. We have a region in Nation States called Geeks Unite that, uh, that we're all sort of part of. And uh, and we play it individually and together. But it's just an online game where you, you have your own little uh, nation and you answer issues every day and then you see the consequences of those issues. It's a very humorous thing. It's a lot of fun. And I know, what, what was it, five years ago that we were playing this together? Uh, I think it was before I met you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was uh, it was it was a blast. So uh, so come and come and join us on Nation States and and check that out. We'll put a, a link to Geeks Unite in the uh in the, the, the show notes, I like to call them. And that way uh, we can all sort of see how each other's doing and, and see what crazy decisions we've made about our nations. So that's that. MacGeekUp.com slash stream is how you find the stream when it's on. But better to look on Facebook or just get the app and get the push notification. So. Anything else, John? 
Okay. Well, then it is time uh, to wrap this one up. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We want to thank uh, also Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast because he converts this to AAC for you. We want to thank Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com for all the bandwidth. Of course, we want to thank our sponsors in the marketplace. That's BB Edit from Barebone Software. Disc Label from Smile. Last minute Christmas gifts can be made right there on your Mac with that. Gazelle to sell all your stuff back to because you know you're going to get new stuff. And uh, Crash Plan for all your online backups. That's all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. Folks, I hope you have a Merry Christmas if you celebrate that. A Happy Festivus if you celebrate that. Happy Holidays. I hope you just have a happy time. It's a good thing. And uh, have fun, but don't get caught. Made up.